0: I mean anybody who's interested in real estate development, I would say you know the best thing that happened to me was finding a piece of real estate uh, or a piece of the industry that kind of matched up well with my personal interests because it became fun it it was it's not a job it's of course it's hard work and it's very stressful and i I spend a tremendous amount of time and energy on this, but it doesn't feel like I'm spending time and energy in, in work. it feels like I'm spending time and energy in something that I enjoy and so uh, you know I would I would just recommend trying to stay as close to your personal passions as you can.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 68 of the Placemaking Podcast. We can't wait to share this next conversation with all of you here today now on the show today we have andrew katz andrew is the founder and principal of katz development there in denver colorado andrew grew up in cincinnati ohio where he graduated from the ohio state university with a bachelor's degree in real estate shortly after he moved to denver colorado to pursue a career in real estate development he then founded Katz development alongside his father Scott Katz, who has owned and managed Cincinnati-based development and brokerage firm Midland Retail for over 30 years, alongside with his brother Adam Katz. Andrew himself has participated in the development of approximately $350 million of office, multifamily retail, and hospitality projects totaling roughly 1 million square feet in both Colorado and Ohio. Now, in this episode, we learned about the importance of mentors and advisors early in your real estate career. We discussed the rise of mass timber construction in recent history. And last but not least, we discussed how a project site can often change, morph, and shift over time to meet the demands of the surrounding community and market conditions as a whole. Now, there's tons of great information in this episode. I really hope you enjoy. Now, as always, if you have enjoyed the show... We'd ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry. There'll be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show.
2: Andrew uh, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and graduated from the Ohio state university uh, with a bachelor's degree in real estate. Um, He's comes from uh, a, a little bit of a real estate family. And then moved to denver, Colorado to to cut his teeth and and get started with cats development. Um he's been a part of approximately three hundred and fifty million dollars worth of office multifamily retail and hospitality projects uh, covering about a million square feet and uh, And he's really focusing on infill development and the urban core and has some exciting projects that he's going to share with us about the the kind of rise and fall of different ideas on the same piece of property. And I think uh, essentially, Uh, We're really going to dive into what it's like to um, be a part of a team of developers, a kind of a multi-generational team of developers, and then learning from those both above us and then uh, uh, turning around and helping those below. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Matt, I'm glad to be back. It's been a little bit of time since we recorded the last episode, and so we're looking forward uh, to diving in. But uh, let's jump in. and uh, Sure, I think you did a
0: good job on the intro and covered most of it, but grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, went to school at the Ohio State University, graduated and moved to Denver pretty much immediately after. It was mostly a lifestyle choice. I was fortunate to be able to come out here as a kid growing up and go skiing and hiking and all that kind of fun stuff and um, come from a family or a real estate development family. And I learned pretty early. You can do that basically anywhere in the U S or in the world really. And, uh, figured it would be more fun to do it in Denver where I am a drive away from the mountains than in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I moved out here in 2015, started in retail brokerage, uh, learned the market, learned the players started to get some deal-making experience under my belt and then worked for a prominent local developer here called Westfield Company for a couple of years. And then I left in 2019 to work with my family and our family development business out here.
2: All right. That's, that's great. I will have to acknowledge um, that you're a little bit younger uh, than me. Sure. Um, and so uh, we, we love learning from those who uh, obviously come from experience, but have just a very different perspective um, and and have just a, a position where you can look at the, the with optimistic eyes all of the opportunities that are out there. So it's um, it's, it's getting beaten out of me. So <laughs> don't know how much yeah, optimism we, I've got
1: left. But <laughs>
2: uh, with a, with age cub wisdom and, and you have to have thick skin in this development business. So
1: yes, curious. Uh, <clears throat> can we rewind a little bit here, and you talked about starting out in brokerage. A lot of developers tend to have that background and see it as very very valuable just because you get to see kind of what the market is looking for, you know, in a way you get to see what expectations are for tenants, for, you know, what, whoever you're, you're brokering for, but you get to see market conditions in, in real time. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience there, uh, doing brokerage and, and how you think that might have helped you or, or not (laughs) maybe? Sure. Yeah. Uh, no
0: doubt you hit on a lot of things, in there. My dad actually started as a retail broker in the beginning of his career. And so a lot of it came from following in his footsteps and taking his advice. You're right. It's a great way to learn both a market by understanding conditions in real time. And also just being new to a city. I mean, you've got to understand every piece of real estate in that metro area that you're working in. And so it was a very good, just deep dive, welcome to Denver, learn everything so that you know a little bit about what you're talking about when you're in these meetings. And so it was a really helpful place to start. It's very challenging. I need to acknowledge you know, first and forehand that, or foremost, that my, uh, my family has been very supportive of a real estate career and an entrepreneurial real estate career. It's very hard to get started financially in brokerage. It's usually mostly commission, if not 100% commission. And so you kind of Um, eat what you kill. And if, you know, if if either of you have any experience in brokerage, you don't start off strong ever, (laughs) it's impossible, I think. So, uh, the first years are really rough and you have to have that support somehow and some kind of safety net to, to get it going or, or just, you gotta be living real lean, uh, for a little bit. And so it was a really good lesson in independence and learning city and understanding. You know the the underlying mechanics behind. I was in retail, so retail deals, um, understanding you know the sensitivities that landlords were focused on, the ones that tenants were focused on. I started to get into some land deals later in my brokerage career, which was short two years. Uh, but I spent a lot of time in land, and that led me into the next phases of my career. But the land deals really helped uh, helped me to kind of map out the path of growth in Denver and and to identify future opportunities. And that's really where I met other developers on the cutting edge, met mentors, met uh, you know, players from out of town that were coming into Denver and seeing the new opportunities. And it it helped me develop some skills as to things that they look for and, and how they identify those. And so brokerage was invaluable. It was really challenging. It was not something I want to do again in my life, but it Showed me the ropes. It taught me the city, and it introduced me to all of the people who helped me make the next uh, career jump.
2: Wow, that's a great background, and I appreciate the the perspective of being new to a city. And I think it's, it's humbling in so many ways that you have to hey, find your way and and fight your way through it. But uh, it's good to see that you've come to the other side, and uh, at least still have that optimism out there. A little bit. So you mentioned you mentioned <laughs> the mentoring thing. Um, and, and obviously, we learn from those who, who drag us along in the industry. But uh, talk a little bit about how uh, you've benefited from having a, a mentor and, uh, and, and how you feel that that's uh, not just benefited you, but maybe the, the kind of benefiting the industry.
0: Sure. Yeah. Finding a mentor was, was uh, crucial to kind of leading me through my career to this point. You know, my, my dad had a real estate development background. He's been doing it in Cincinnati, Ohio, where we're from for 30 years. And so I grew up understanding development a little bit from a kid's perspective and, you know, getting to be involved as much as the attention span of a, a junior higher high school student kind of allows. But, you know, when I was growing up, he was more focused on retail development. He was building 10,000 square foot retail strip centers in suburban parts of Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky, you know, Chipotle and Panera anchored stuff like that. And he's since uh, shifted into other into other uh, sectors. But that was what I grew up knowing. And when I moved to Denver, that's kind of what I assumed I would end up doing. And I, I quickly learned that I was not very passionate or interested in that. And I came across a, a guy who I actually ended up living in a building that he had developed. And that's how I met him. And it was a really cool little urban infill project in the Capitol neighborhood in Denver and you know i ran into him i learned that he had developed that building and i thought wow that's pretty cool this is a facet of development that i don't know anything about and this is something that is interesting to me it's very design forward it's focused on you know residential end users rather than big commercial you know retail tenants Um, this is something that's more aligned with my personal passions of of design and city making and that sort of thing. And I was sort of discovering those things about myself as I lived in the heart of Denver, you know, first time doing that. I lived in Columbus for school, but you're not really focused on the city when you're in school. So I, uh, I became passionate about urbanism. I found this guy who was, you know, additive to the urban environment. And I said, I need to understand everything that you are doing. How are you doing it? How does it work? Uh, you know, teach me everything. So I essentially bugged this guy for, <clears throat> for weeks until he would sit down and get a coffee with me. And we just kind of headed off. And uh, he, he really became my first friend uh, that I met in Denver and just really incredible human being. His whole family is amazing. Uh, he kind of guided me through my retail brokerage journey and helped me keep my head on straight and pointed me in the right direction. And, um, you know, I, I would certainly not have, I would be in a very different uh place career-wise had i not met him and had he not been willing to show me the ropes and and you know take me under his wing so i, I owe everything to him
2: well that's great and and does his work is it mostly on the urban infill development or did he start in another place and then shift over into kind of the, the the urban heart of uh heart of denver
0: yeah, so he's always been an urban infill guy. He uh, started with some smaller townhome projects and some up-and-coming neighborhoods in Denver and moved up in scale gradually into multifamily. And he, uh, at one point in his career, and I'm just speaking for him, so I hope he's not listening. Uh, <laughs> he made a move over to a another developer, the local developer, Westfield. I think that he had a deal that he was working on on and he went to ask Westfield uh, if they would like to be involved as a JV partner, and they ended up bringing him into their organization as a, as a partner at Westfield. And so he moved to Westfield, uh, became a development partner on a, on a very big platform, working on some really transformative projects in the urban core of Denver. And that's the point where, you know, I, I had been a retail broker. Um, I, we can get into this part later, but I had identified a site in the downtown Denver core uh, that I was, I came across as I was looking for land deals. And I convinced my dad that we need to invest in this site. And I, uh, at that point, you know, brought it to m- this mentor, his name's Jonathan. And I basically said, hey, I know this is a great site. I know this market. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done an urban infill development before. Like we should partner on this. Do you, do you like this site? Do you wanna work together? And his response was, yes, I like the site. Yes. I want to work together, but I actually have my hands full here at Westfield. Why don't you come work for me and get some experience in some of these bigger projects that I'm working on that I need a hand in. And so I left retail brokerage to go work at Westfield with Jonathan, my mentor and spent two years there. And it, uh, was by far the most valuable two years of my life from an education standpoint.
2: Well, it's good to have that uh, sort of like hand-holding a little bit, I call it, um, but at the same time, like somebody who's been in the industry that's seen things that can help you knock down some barriers. So uh, what's the status of that project or that site right now?
0: Yeah. So uh, the site right now is, is my current focus. So I, I, I left retail brokerage when we bought the site in 2017. Uh, we were very fortunate. We bought at a, a really good time in an early stage of development of, of an up and coming neighborhood, downtown in Denver called the Rhino arts district. And, you know, I left to go work for Westfield from 2017 to 2019. And we had basically done a a lease back to the, uh, the guy that we bought the site from. And we kind of just made a commitment to sit and wait for a little bit and let the neighborhood develop around us and let me get some experience over at Westfield. And so I I went and did that for two years, Uh, worked on some really fun, probably the most fun projects I'll ever get to work on in my life. Um, And uh, I left Westfield in 2019 to focus on the site. I've run into all kinds of fun uh, world (laughs) events between late 2019 and today. And so we are fighting through them and and, uh, trying to finally put a building on this piece of land.
2: That's awesome. And what are those projects, uh, project types that you've explored Uh, for this site or projects
0: that I'd worked at at Westfield?
2: Oh yeah. For this, for the site, you guys have the, have the land.
0: Yeah. So when we first bought the land, you know, it penciled for a 12 unit townhome deal. Um, And that's what gave us the confidence to close on it. We knew that, or we felt confident that we could build 12 townhomes and, and do reasonably well with the, with the land basis. Since then, The neighborhood has undergone tremendous growth, um, billions of dollars have been poured in from, um, from private investments and from developers from all over the country. Um, I'm trying to think of some stats as to the development of the neighborhood. I can tell you right now, there are 3000 apartments under construction in the neighborhood and 750,000 square feet of spec office, which is kind of crazy and terrifying in this particular (laughs) moment in time. Uh, but it really speaks to the, um, just the the heart of this neighborhood and the, uh, the desirability to be investing in Denver right now. The city has put a tremendous amount of public investment, so they redid the main stretch of road that runs down the neighborhood called Brighton Boulevard. They spent $40 million to convert that into one of the mo- most beautiful streets and bike lanes and well-landscaped areas uh, of downtown Denver. And they put a three-acre park and an amazing river promenade and a light rail station that connects to Union Station, which is the heart of Denver, and then also goes to the airport. And we also um, have seen some upzoning in the neighborhood since we bought the site. So we started with 12 townhomes. We have since shifted as that's no longer the highest and best use. Um, I left Westfield in 2019 thinking we were going to do a hotel. And um you know, I I became a little um, maybe disillusioned is the wrong word, but critical of other development in the neighborhood while working at Westfield, because we were so fortunate to be working on such transformative, um, amazing projects that that those guys had created, that I kind of looked at real estate deals in the neighborhood in two different categories, ones that added to the urban fabric and, and made the neighborhood better, and then projects that, you know, were there to capitalize on on the cool factor and on all of the things that those other projects were giving to the neighborhood and i was very desperate to make sure our project fell into the right bucket there you know hotels to me really check the box there i feel like every time i'm traveling hotels in cool neighborhoods are really a cultural hub of activity whether it's from out of town guests or from locals with great food and beverage outlets or it's a great place for locals and and tourists to intermingle and 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 it just always creates a pretty fun energy and so We were pretty excited about a hotel in 2019. We did a lot of research. We created a concept. We got into the city with our, our very preliminary plans in March of 2020. Um, and when that hit, we, uh, we obviously took a pause from the project, um, when the world shut down, luckily we hadn't had a tremendous amount of capital invested into the deal at that point. It was pretty preliminary you know, concept level drawings from our architect and, and some cost estimating and stuff like that. So we took a pause and then around the middle of 2020, we decided that project would have to be uh, canceled. We'd have to pivot to something else. We just didn't think that hospitality was going to be financeable, especially we would of course work with an experienced operator, but we had no experience building hotels, uh, in our family history. And so we, we felt like it would be very challenging to acquire, um, you know, financing had we continued on as a hotel um and so you know from the hotel we started thinking about what we were going to do we sat on our hands for a majority of 2020 just to see what would happen and there was a group uh, a group out of i guess they're based in london but they're kind of all over the world it's a it's a private club membership kind of group and i had been talking to them as a broker trying to find them a good spot in denver it felt like the right um, the right product type for the city. And, and we started negotiating for a little bit and, and tried to figure out if there was a deal to be had on our site. And it just, it didn't really make sense for this site at this time. And so we spent some time negotiating that and, and sussing that out. I think it was probably the beginning of 2021 we decided that, you know, apartments made sense, which again is a tough pill to swallow. I feel like multifamily can have an easier time falling into the category of projects that, that don't necessarily add a ton to a neighborhood. If, if done you know, in a commodity kind of way in the ground floor or providing a different type of living experience or you know, filling a gap in the residential market for, for the neighborhood that, that others weren't necessarily filling. And so we pivoted to multifamily. Uh, and also that was a stronger asset throughout COVID and, and more financeable and just seemed like a, an easier path to, to getting something built. And so uh, we, we rallied the team and, and rebuilt our team around doing a high-rise apartment building and uh off we went
2: so you made a transition uh to a high-rise tower how many floors are you looking at now
0: uh 12 stories
2: okay and so i think you had mentioned to me previously that you were looking at some innovative construction techniques for that um i think you mentioned mass timber have you guys pulled the trigger on on that that structural decision
0: yeah so that's right we are going mass timber on this project um it's something that in our minds, from when we were thinking about doing the hotel, it's uh, something that we fell in love with from an aesthetic purpose and eventually started to understand better from an environmental standpoint. And, you know, it feels like mass timber, which has been around for a while in Europe, is kind of right on the cusp of, of having a, a pretty breakout moment here in the US. I'm sure many people uh, in the real estate and commercial uh, construction industry have heard of it and um yeah that's 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 really the big differentiator and the driver of this project hopefully you know adding to the neighborhood for five stories uh building called plat 15 and you know there's only a handful of mass timber high-rises in the country there's been a lot of changes to the international building code that are starting to allow mass timber construction at a at a uh, you know, taller heights. And so we're, we're kind of right on that edge of, of, uh, that becoming hopefully a more mainstream option for folks.
2: And Have you guys gone through the full adoption in Colorado for all of those codes and, and does the city of Denver, are they, they signed up for it and, and excited?
0: <clears throat> yes. So the city of Denver has adopted the 2021, uh, as far as I know, and I'm I'm not, you know, an engineer or an architect uh, who is super deep into the code. But as far as I know, the city of Denver has fully adopted the 2021 Tall Tall Wood codes that create the the Type Four construction type to allow for mass timber. Um, and uh, there's also a, a new code amendment, really, that'll be a part of the 2024 IBC that is going to benefit mass timber projects in that eight to twelve story range that we're going to take advantage of that that denver is also in the process of adopting and you know as a city denver's very um, very uh, positive about mass timber from a at, at the at the city level it's something that is good for the environment and people typically live in denver because of this incredible you know geographical location people love going to the mountains that's why we're all here who those of us who moved here and didn't grow up here is to to be able to have access to you know some of the most amazing outdoor spaces in the in the world really and mass timber is something that represents you know something that goes towards protecting those areas hopefully as you know we we inch closer and closer to having you know issues with our climate
2: What was the uh, the code adoption process? Did you did you get involved in that?
0: Yeah. So we first of all, let me say we have we had no business being involved in this, (laughs) but we uh, you know we started our process knowing we were going to build a twelve story mass timber building and knowing that we were at risk as we started design because there was a code uh, stipulation that required buildings up to twelve stories to cover up eighty percent of the timber ceilings and it was due to some outdated fire testing and people thought it was a safety, um, a safety issue. And essentially that would have killed the deal for us because mass timber is a premium compared to concrete and steel on the material level. But when you factor in other advantages of mass timber, one of them being that you hopefully should not have to finish the ceiling because that's the whole beauty of, of the. The material is that it's 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 a beautiful finish and you can expose it and that's the architectural finish and the design of the space and so you know had we been required to cover up 80 percent of that wood with non-natural toxic drywall and materials that can't be reused that would have not only killed the deal from an economic standpoint but it also would have you know flown in the face of of, uh, of trying to work with natural and sustainable materials and so we had heard that and we were prepared to go through a process with the city of denver to just request basically a a modification to the code to allow us to expose more timber Um, but we had actually heard that there was a group of of architects and fire safety engineers and um, folks that actually created the original 2021 Tall Wood codes that got adopted by the international building code and they had an amendment forth to the international uh, code council to amend a piece of the code that Particular piece of the code for Type Four B construction that basically said we should be changing it from twenty percent exposure up to twelve stories to one hundred percent exposure based on new fire ta- fire uh, excuse me fire safety tests that have been done uh, that are more current that are specifically meant to test for this exposure level. Whereas the previous one, they wrapped it in eighty percent drywall, it passed the test, and they said great, write it into the code. They that was as far as it went so you know we've uh, we've got new data new data that basically proves that wood and mass timber specifically are um you know as as strong in a fire situation as concrete and steel essentially basically the outer layer of the wood chars and protects the structural integrity of of the interior wood and so based on that new data this amendment was put forth uh, for the 2024 international building code. And they asked us to come with them to, um, to Pittsburgh, to their annual kind of code update conference to testify in support of this amendment. And so we went after a process, uh, we were approved at the IBC level. So in the 2024 international building code, you are allowed to expose 100% of your CLT up to 12 stories. in that in that type four B construction type, and then Our structural engineer, uh, Greg Kingsley here in Denver, he is very um, much a mass timber advocate, he uh, then put forth an amendment to or a proposal to the city of Denver saying hey this got adopted in the 2024 international building code can we pull it through early so that we can start. Start using this in mass timber projects and that was you know approved by the city uh, unanimously and it's currently going through the process of being. Um, ratified and adopted to the Denver code, and so when that's finalized in March, hopefully we will be one of the first cities in the country to pull that that code forward. Uh, the city was very excited about mass timber in general and feels like this code provision is going to encourage more mass timber use in the city of denver and so overall it was it was positives all around
2: It's great to hear that the design community, both from the architects and the engineers, sort of create that environment where it's it's you know, maybe not easy, um, but a little bit more uh, accommodating for you know developer um, to come along and see that vision as well. And I know that we've all been looking at Europe and the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast for all these new mass timber and CLT systems coming forward. So it, it's exciting to to hear early on how that process got started. And it sounds like you you made that decision. Um, was there one thing in particular uh, that you saw or helped you make that decision to to research the mass timber industry?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was again just a bit of disillusionment with the current uh, with the current development and construction industry. It's you know everything felt a little commodity. There's a handful of really you know fun, cool buildings down in in it's called the Lower Downtown Neighborhood Lodo of Denver. It's there's probably five or six of them that are old brick and timber buildings from the 1890s or early 1900s, and they're some of the coolest uh, you know most desirable buildings to live in, in the city, because they just have that old world charm to them. They, they have the exposed wood, they have the uh, exposed brick, it's just unique. And if you are going to go and live in a new building in Denver and, and really anywhere in the country, you're pretty much checking, you know, a list of amenities and a location, but then you walk into the unit and sure there's a floor plan and, and pricing involved. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a drywall box. And so the mass timber appeal of just having that instant aesthetic differentiation of saying, Hey, when you walk into this unit, you are going to be surrounded by natural materials. You're going to see the columns and beams. You're going to understand how this structure is, is standing. And it's just a true authentic piece of design that you don't really have to do anything to it speaks for itself, which I think is really uh, exciting from a design perspective and, you know, beyond just that aesthetic differentiation, I think that people really are keyed into the environmental impact that we've had uh, with our carbon emissions lately. And I think that, or not lately, I guess for an extended period of time, but, you know, I think people are starting to pay more attention and obviously things like the inflation reduction act and the emergence of electric vehicles and, you know, companies are starting to monitor their carbon emission output and people are starting to, you know, support, companies like Patagonia and and other companies that have a mission that stand for something that want to protect our environment and want to make sure that we are you know able to enjoy skiing on these amazing mountains in our backyard and and our winter season doesn't get you know cut shorter than it already has over the last 10 or 20 years and don't quote me on that I don't know if it actually is
2: shortening (laughs) but it feels like it is Um, I always quiz you on the weather next time yeah
0: (laughs) yeah totally but you know, it just feels like the right moment in time for mass timber. It feels like that's something people are paying attention to, and it feels like it's just it's something different. And if uh, a big stat that I, I've learned recently is that the the built environment and just buildings in general account for something like forty percent of global carbon emissions, and you know, a lot of that is from building operations, and that's something that's slowly starting to shift over time to. You know, we have these we have passive house that's starting to become a little bit more widely recognized, we have a shift to electric building systems which you know has its drawbacks but hopefully the technology is going to start. is going to accelerate quickly and allow more projects to become fully electric and and hopefully grids will shift to more renewable energy sources uh, to support that and. You know the other portion of that 40 percent of global carbon emissions comes from the actual construction of the building and concrete and steel are just very energy intense and they emit a ton of carbon into the air and mass timber i mean trees pull carbon out of the atmosphere as they grow and when they they lock that carbon into their limbs and it's it's stuck there until you know until the building is destroyed or the limbs are destroyed or they burn up in a fire or something like that. And the goal with mass timber really is that, you know, we never really destroy these buildings. These are all very prefabricated modular building components that hopefully can be reused in in new buildings when that building's life cycle is up. And so there's just a lot of exciting, exciting things that mass timber offers. And, and if we are going to try and, you know, get to our carbon goals as a planet, Starting somewhere where we're saying, okay, 40% of carbon emissions, you know, come from buildings. Well, if we shifted some portion of our new construction over the next, you know, several decades from concrete and steel to mass timber, that's going to start eating, eating away at that, at that number.
2: It's interesting to have gone through that conversation about construction types and construction systems. And I've been a part of projects where we start out with steel and we, we switch to a little frame. And um, it's interesting because when we start designing, we almost know the structural system and switching, you know, midstream because of availability or tariff issues or something like that. It's always a challenge when you're pricing out this building and looking at, you know, the total number of units and the square footage and all of those costs. And and ultimately, I think one of the things that I love about it is the cost on site, uh, the savings for the construction process. But how do you how do you at the end of the day weigh all of that because uh, you you clearly understand all the environmental benefits of, um, of the mass timber systems, but um, in total, how how do you. How do you advocate for that to future projects or to other developers that may be interested in researching the, the mass timber systems.
0: Sure, so great question um, at the beginning of our process, we knew there was going to be a premium for mass timber, we just didn't know what it was going to be or how much it was going to be and so. We made the commitment upfront in concept that this was going to be mass timber no matter what. And that's a really challenging thing, I think, for a lot of people to commit to at an early stage of a development. And one of the reasons we're able to do that is because we're a small new development company. We don't have a big system in place. We don't have you know a team of architects and contractors and engineers that we work on several projects a year with. Uh, it'd be challenging for somebody who, who is a longstanding developer and has a system that works to make that decision because going mass timber really requires you to build your entire team around mass timber and so that's what we did from the beginning and we basically said hey we know there's going to be a premium we're going to do everything we can we're going to optimize the efficiency of this structure to make sure that we can narrow that premium as low as we possibly can and so starting with mass timber from the start Ah, uh, basically, turning over the design to our structural engineer to lay out the most efficient grid system for mass timber and to make sure that we are stressing every inch of you know wood volume to its maximum capacity and there's no waste involved. Uh, it's put us in a position where the mass timber premium is really not as high as we thought it was going to be. It was you know at one point we thought it was maybe a five five to eight percent premium when compared to to PT concrete or um, or, or heavy steel. And, uh, you know, those are really your, your other two construction methods at this height. You can also do light steel and probably do infinity up to 12 stories or prescient if you went over a, maybe a four or five story podium, but, you know, we, we didn't want to do that. We wanted, we're, we're building a less commodity product and, and, you know, wanted to go with a really high quality, um, system. And so, you know, we didn't really know where we were gonna end up. Now we're about 100%, uh, at, we're at 100% DDs. So we're moving into construction documents here next week. And we've, you know, had many pricing rounds and we we just recently decided to have our, our contractor, we're working with a group called Swinerton, uh, who is uh, one of the most qualified mass timber general contractors in the country. Uh, we had them do a quick cost comparative analysis, very high level, just to see where we're at. Um, Obviously, we could dive into a million details to really figure it out, but we found that uh, we think that we're not really paying a premium to go mass timber compared to concrete in this particular structure at this point. And there are two big driving forces that are eliminating that premium, and it's really um, one of mass timber's biggest advantages: is that it's fast. There's you can build it maybe twenty to twenty five percent faster than pt concrete and when you look at that you know over the course of a couple months think about all of your gcs and and your 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 you know just monthly carry costs that you can eliminate both from a construction loan standpoint and from a general contractor standpoint your speed to the market Uh, you know we're saving probably three and a half or four months on the construction schedule compared to concrete which is significant and so backing that out of the cost as well as backing out you know all of the finished material that we don't have to um we don't have to put on the ceilings with mass timber and because we were able to get that 100% exposure rating we're not going to expose 100% we're going to drop the ceiling and and certain places will probably probably be 70 to 80% exposed if i had to guess um but uh you know once you back out all of those costs you're kind of eliminating that premium even though the material is more expensive. And so that's where we're at today. I, uh, my, my message to other developers would be that if you want to do mass timber, you have to start with that in mind from the beginning, it's very costly and inefficient and, and to switch from a steel or a concrete structure, you know, halfway through DDs or, or, you know, at the end of schematic design is probably kind of your last option to do so in a cost-effective way. But, You know, we're really not seeing a huge premium and especially today, you know, lumber prices are are down and concrete prices have gone up. And also a huge factor, too, is that the labor required for a mass timber construction is significantly less than concrete and labor is a pretty big issue in our current market and probably around the country as well. And so that is very helpful when it comes to costs.
2: And then just some details on that individual project, how many total units?
0: So it's 84 units. And it's going to be nine levels of mass timber above a three-story concrete podium.
2: Okay. All right. And then uh, op- uh, optimal time when uh, construction is going to be completed?
0: Uh, so we we hope to break ground kind of middle of next year. Um, like I said, we are, you know, just kicking into CDs. We're into the city entitlement process. The city is very backed up right now. We have a lot of construction going on and, uh a lot of new projects being submitted every day and so it's uh it's a pretty variable process with the city and and a very uh uncertain timeline with them but we hope to be ready to break ground you know early to mid next year and then we anticipate being finished with
2: construction uh end of 2024. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, is there any other advice that you would give people who are looking to get into real estate or into the development process, uh, and maybe some resources where they could look to to gain some additional information uh, until they find their mentor?
0: Sure. Yeah. First, I would say definitely take any advice I give with a grain of salt. I'm very new at this. I am uh, working my way through it, and I've, um, you know, it, it it also helps to grow up in a real estate develop, development family for sure. And so having a built-in mentor was was uh, instrumental, but I mean, anybody who's interested in real estate development, I would say, you know, the best thing that happened to me was finding a piece of real estate uh, or a piece of the industry that kind of matched up well with my personal interests because it became fun it it was it's not a job it's of course, it's hard work and it's very stressful, and i I spend a tremendous amount of time and energy on this, but it doesn't feel like I'm spending. Time and energy in, in work, it feels like I'm spending time and energy in something that I enjoy, and so uh, you know i would I would just recommend trying to stay as close to your personal passions as you can when it comes to the real estate types that you pursue and then, in regards to finding a mentor, I mean, I got lucky and then stumbled into one essentially, but uh, if I were to have to do it again and, and if somebody were to give me some advice, I would say, find some projects that you love and that you want to learn more about how they came together and places that you enjoy being. And, you know, there was a team behind every building that you've ever been into and find those places that you really enjoy, find the people who built them and designed them and developed them and, and, and learn from them because chances are, that's how you find that, that pairing of your personal interests and, in, and in a career. And so that, that's what I would say.
2: Well, that's excellent advice. And, and as we all know and appreciate is, Yeah, having a team that you enjoy working with and you can be lucky enough to couple that with a project that you care about and it makes all the difference. So, well, again, thank you for your time and we look forward to crossing paths soon. Hopefully we'll see each other at the International Mass Timber Conference uh, next year and then some other developer conferences that are coming up in the future. So any last words?
0: I will see you at the International Timber Conference. That's for sure. Thank you so much for having me.